kingdom of the planet of the apes has arrived in IMAX. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. If you like Dreamtown, the story of Adelanto, and want access to early ad-free episodes, join Friends of the Pod. Crooked's new subscription community at crooked.com slash friends. Well, I don't know about you, but I sure learned a whole lot about Stevana Evans in that last chapter. Primarily, she has no problem taking on the people and the systems in charge of things. She even won herself a city council seat. So did her allies, a few of them, So it's a new era, new council, new mayor. No more Germain, no more bug either. But boy, they sure did leave an old mess behind. I just want to thank the staff, all the staff to help out with the Christmas parade. The December 12th. Adelanto City Council meeting of 2018 was a festive one. The dais was decorated with a Christmas garland and red bows. And hanging above the heads of the council members was a giant wreath decked out with Christmas lights. Thank you, Mayor Kerr, for your many years of service. Four years. Congratulations. Every seat was filled. And there was a crowd of people standing shoulder to shoulder in the back of the room. Many of them were friends and family members of the newly elected council members and mayor who were about to be sworn into office. Before prayer, I wanted to share one scripture which comes from Isaiah 43, uh, verses 19, 20, 21. It says, Behold, I will do something new. After a reading of the scripture and the opening roll call, Stevana got her first chance to speak to the public as an elected official. She wore a white dress with a grid pattern, and she looked at home, seated beneath a wall hanging of the city seal, and the words, in God we trust. Uh, Stevana? Councilwoman Stevana? You know it. <laughs> um, so, as I sat down to write this, I searched my heart and soul, not to mention Google, a thesaurus and a dictionary that could give me a word to describe what I'm feeling. And the only word that even came remotely close to a one-word expression and constantly resonated within every fiber of my being was gratitude. Today I stand, I sit, but I stand before you in a state of overwhelming gratitude. I am challenged in my earnest attempt to express just how grateful and thankful for every last one of you today. The friends, family, and supporters that didn't think twice about knocking on Not only did Stevana win a seat on the council, but her friend and ally, Jerry Hernandez, had won the other seat. Bug lost pretty badly. He finished a distant sixth. And the mayor, Rich Kerr, lost to Gabriel Reyes, another ally of Stevana's. This was a huge change for the council. 
three brand new politicians, Stevana, Reyes, and Hernandez, now had the majority of votes on the five-member council. And together, this new majority wanted to do a hard reset on Adelanto politics and put an end to the scandals and corruption that had plagued the city for the last four years. A few months into her term as a councilwoman, I met up with Stevana in an office at the Adelanto Stadium to talk about her new life as an elected official. When she took office, the city was behind on financial audits, and one of her campaign promises was to get those budget audits back on track. What is the city budget like these days? <laughs> you funny! So, um, I have no idea how to answer your question. I read the budget from last year, and I'm like, what the hell? Who approved this? It is just a bunch of made-up numbers that they pulled from God knows where and uh, put into a book and called it a budget. A few months into Stevana's term, the city received the audit for the 2014-2015 fiscal year, and the results were not pretty. After legalizing cannabis, Kerr and Bug had projected a budget surplus of $400,000. But the audit showed that the city actually had a $5.5 million deficit, which was a whopper of a number, nearly half the total budget. So that kind of was depressing to know that there's $4.8 million that we have no idea where it went. Very frustrating for us as a new council. Like, uh, y'all just lost $4 million and we all just cool with that. Just, just write it off. It's cool. Wait, what? I, you know, the mayor was like, I want to sue people. Who do we fire? What happens? So um, it's deep. From Crooked Media, this is Dreamtown, the story of Adelanto. Chapter 5, The Audit. The work ahead for Stevana was daunting. Not only did she have to untangle the mess left behind by Bug, Kerr, and Germain, she had to learn how government works. That in and of itself is a tall order that comes with a very steep learning curve. When I got my job at Staples, they put me through like two weeks of training. Then I had to be shadowed by somebody. It's an intensive training process. There's not that for government, right? Like, you won. Yay, good good luck. I, our first meeting, we had to vote on stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know what this means. I uh, Can we table this? I don't know. Is that a thing? I don't you know. Can't say that, right. Though, right? You cannot. No, because then you look crazy or unprepared. But... You know, there's no real training process. The beauty and peril of democracy is that you don't have to know anything about the government to run for office. There are no education requirements, no past experience necessary. One minute, you could be a welder or a farmer or a doctor. And the next day, you could be deciding on complex issues like water rights or commercial zoning. Nothing prepares you for this, you know, and you're under that microscope. And so it's like you make a small mistake and it's a magnified mistake, especially from the people that didn't support you or don't support you or whatever the reason may be. Suddenly, Stevana had real political power. It wasn't like she could start making unilateral changes or anything. But now she was on the inside. She had the ability 
to pull back the curtain and get a firsthand glimpse at the chaos that had been going on at City Hall for the last four years, or at least the paper trail that was left behind. It's a whole lot of unwinding and unpacking and pulling off layers and trying to get the right information from the right people because you don't really know who was involved in what. And not so much focus on the past because we want to move forward, right? But if we don't unpack and figure out where we went wrong, how do we move forward? One of the keys to untangling this mess was to do some basic accounting. Figure out how much money was coming into the city and how much was going out. And the obvious place to start was in the green zone. Adelanto was the second city in Southern California to legalize commercial weed cultivation. The best way to think about their situation is that they were the second domino to fall in a long chain of dominoes. After Adelanto, more cities legalized weed cultivation. So now, Adelanto had to compete with those cities to lure weed companies to town. And one way they did that was by keeping their tax rate on cannabis businesses very low. People think everybody's making millions and millions of dollars, but the margins are so small. There's so much competition, everybody's competing. This is cannabis entrepreneur Adam Wilkies. Adelanto's low tax rate was one of the things that brought him to the city. He's launched over 30 brands in Adelanto, and he's the CEO of Tyson 2.0, a weed company run by Mike Tyson, who, if you hadn't noticed, has become a huge stoner in recent years. Tyson is also a podcast host. He has a show called Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson, where he chats with prominent stoners. Why did you fight without any socks? I didn't thought that was a star. I didn't know these poor motherfuckers didn't have socks. Didn't have socks. (laughs) In this interview, Tyson is wearing what I guess you could call a sombrero with pot leaves all over it as he chats with two of the world's most famous marijuana connoisseurs. I'm Mike Tyson, and who we have here is, man, can I tell you something? We have the cheek and we have the chong. And these, are, these men are legendary. These are the first guys. These are the prototypes, and they laid the footwork down for what we're doing right now. Please sit down, sit down. Listen, yes, listen, man. First thing I'm going to say, my balls in. Scrap my, scratch my balls. Please scratch my balls. Well, okay. Uh, what a time to be alive. The worlds of professional sports, stoner comedy, capitalism, and podcasting united in a thick cloud of pot smoke. So go lick a toad. <laughs> no, no, no. You got to smoke it. No, really. Smoke it. I'll lick a toad, you smoke a toad. I know where you're going. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> I've been there a couple of times. Anyway, Tyson has used his celebrity and wealth to transition from the world of sports into this new era of legal weed, along with the help of his CEO. We've now entered 24 states uh, that we've signed agreements in. We're operating in 13 of them. Uh, just executed Canada um, and have a vast menu of exciting products. The most viral one being the Mike Bites, the gummy years over here. In 1997, Mike Tyson fought Evander Holyfield for the World Boxing Association Heavyweight Championship. What happened here? But in the third round, Tyson bit off a chunk of Holyfield's ear. Oh my goodness, he's got a bloody right ear. Holyfield bit by a dirty Mike Tyson. And spit it onto the floor of the ring. He certainly had a big bite. Oh, disgusting tactics here by Mike Tyson. 
Tyson is now capitalizing on this historic fight by selling edibles in the shape of an ear. I can see the bite mark. With a small chunk missing. Can you go on? Yeah. In the shape of a bite mark. The fight will go on. And you'll believe this. We're getting to see strange things up. happen in boxing. They've gone viral. I mean, we can't keep up with the, the demand on these. And then some real new exciting edibles coming out, including uh, Mike's favorite, the ear on the stick, which would be a lollipop ear. Uh, we got chocolate ears. Yeah, and just excited about bringing plant-based medicine to the masses. Clearly, some people in Adelanto were making money off weed. And for the past few years, Mayor Kerr, Bug, and Germain had been touting the success of the Green Zone and the city's supposed budget surplus. But as the city audit later revealed, that budget was rife with errors. Bug and Kerr and Germain may have been great at luring weed companies to town, but their administration was not so great at accounting. That $400,000 budget surplus they bragged about, it ended up being a huge deficit. And it wasn't that the money was missing. It was that it was never there in the first place. On one hand, it was a relief for the new council to know that they didn't have to go chasing down millions of dollars in missing funds. But it was also a rude awakening to find out that Adelanto was still struggling financially, even after legalizing weed. But what about the skyrocketing property values in the green zone and all the permit fees and the taxes that growers were paying on all those pot plants shimmering under high-pressure sodium lights? Exactly how much money was the city actually taking in from weed? Stevana continued her quest to find answers, and she started with a basic question. How many weed companies are operating in Adelanto? When we started, they think they thought we had like 47. But then, Stevana reached out to a city employee named Kathy Bishop, who worked in the Department of Cannabis Control. We couldn't confirm this, but Stevana says that after months of legwork, Kathy discovered there were actually twice as many cannabis operators in the city. After her working on this for, I think, three or four months, we're at 100 operators in the city, right? How did we not know that we had 100 operators in the city? <laughs> Welcome to Adelanto, right? We just do things and don't keep records of anything. Um, so she's been able to make contact with these operators, get solid you know, contact information because we didn't have that. It's very hard to collect taxes from companies when you don't know they exist. And it was clear to Stevana, the previous administration, helmed by Bug, Kerr, Germain, and Jesse Flores, the city manager at the time, were not the most organized folks. Also, some of the council members had their hands full doing crimes and trying to burn down their restaurant. You know, bringing in cannabis, which is such a controversial issue in itself, right? And then to have our council people either fully being corrupt, you know, allegedly you're on trial or whatever, to being investigated by the FBI, to just watching some of the shady deals that have been brought to my attention. You know, oh, he told me outside of the coffee shop that I could have a dispensary. Wait, what? Ah! <laughs> uh. To actually pull Adelanto out of debt, the city had to be diligent about collecting taxes from cannabis operators and making sure they were in compliance with the law. Most of our operators are excited. 
thank you so much for this. Like we've been waiting for some structure so we know what to do. We didn't know how much to pay. We didn't know who to pay. In the fall of 2019, about a year into Stevana's first term, she and the new council were making progress. They had figured out how many weed companies were operating in Adelanto, and they were being more diligent about collecting taxes and enforcing regulations. So even if all the cats that Bug, Kerr, and Germain had let out of the bag in Adelanto hadn't been wrangled, at least Stevana and the new council had gotten a count of how many cats there were. And then a new cat came to town. A weed business started by one of the wealthiest individuals in the world who called his new company Genius Fund. That's after the break. When Adelanto opened its doors to the cannabis industry, it became a magnet for wealthy individuals with dreams of becoming even wealthier. I already told you about Mike Tyson, but he wasn't the only one. The richest and most powerful of them all was a billionaire from the East named Dmitry Bosov. Dmitry Bosov, or Dima Bosov, he was a Russian oligarch who was involved in multiple coal businesses in Russia. He's someone that went ice skating, played hockey with Putin, and he was trying to get into the cannabis business and, you know, cash in on the green rush in California. This is Tammy Abdullah, a journalist who wrote a series of stories about the spectacular rise and fall of Dmitry Bosov's foray into the marijuana business. And so he actually invested roughly $164 million in this venture that went belly up in less than two years. Bosov called his company Genius Fund. The business was spread all across California, but one of the epicenters was Adelanto. So the Adelanto operation was one of the larger money-grabbing operations of the whole thing. Genius Fund came to Adelanto to build a state-of-the-art cannabis processing facility inside the green zone, a place where products like pre-rolled joints and vape pens are manufactured and packaged. People described it to me as like a James Bond-style building with like sleek industrial side. I mean, everything you would think when you think of like a James Bond-esque lab. There was like a meeting room with this massive airplane wing. If there's one image that to me represents the hubris and folly of Genius Fund and the other wealthy newcomers to the cannabis industry, it's this airplane wing. I mean, it looked beautiful, but it couldn't how like not enough people could actually sit around the table. So it was like not exactly functional. I like to imagine that it was at this comically large airplane wing table that the executives at Genius Fund were squeezed around, awkwardly, when one of them came up with the next genius idea to buy a bunch of wolves to guard their James Bond-style building. Sadly, someone spoke up and suggested that maybe buying a bunch of wolves wasn't a genius idea. And so he ended up buying a bunch of dogs with company funds. At the end of the day, they gave up on the dogs, too, and sold them. The Green Rush created a kind of fervor that led to a lot of hasty ideas, many of which had substantial financial backing. And lots of people launching weed startups had never worked in the cannabis industry. 
people like Dmitry Bosov. Now, Bosov could have hired people to run his company who did have experience in the industry. Instead, he hired Ari Stiegler and Gabriel Borden. Stiegler and Borden were basically um, two college friends. They met at USC, and they both were interested in business and starting businesses, quite entrepreneurial. Stiegler and Borden first met in college and then reconnected at a party for cryptocurrency enthusiasts that Borden threw at his parents' house in Santa Monica. His dad, Bill Borden, is a TV producer who created Disney's High School Musical. In their early 20s, they met up again and started talking a bit about cannabis businesses. They had a friend who had some connection to Dima Bosov. Bosov had made billions of dollars in the coal industry in Russia. And now he was interested in cannabis. Bosov knew another oligarch, Mikhail Abzanov, whose son went to school with Gabriel Borden. So Bosov spoke to Borden, and Borden brought in his friend Stiegler. And he thought, hey, why not have these two young guys be the entrepreneurs in the West? And that's basically, he partnered up with these two young guys who'd never been in the cannabis business before. The way they described it, he saw them as real go-getters. So Bosov hired two guys to run a $164 million startup in an industry that is not only incredibly complicated, but also federally illegal. But Stiegler and Borden were undaunted. And so they basically tapped into connections. They're friends. They brought some in from working at bars, from a pizza shop, and brought them in to become analysts and folks who were doing specific specialized roles, like growing hemp at a hemp farm. They made some crucial mistakes right out of the gate like not getting the proper permits. They basically got on the bad side of law enforcement locally there, and the sheriff at the time, who I spoke with, went on site, and, um, you know, they were like, hey, where are all the plants? And, you know, as as some folks I spoke with told me, uh, Genius Fund had, like, kind of in a panic, burned the plant seedlings because they didn't have the proper paperwork for them. So they made some mistakes. But in the words of salesman and motivational speaker Zig Ziglar, failure is a detour, not a dead-end street. An idea that the founders of Genius Fund took to heart. It was very much a high-flying, luxurious, uh, elaborate life for those at the top of the company. You know, last-minute business trips, catered lunches for everyone every day but at the same time, very much a boys' club. And a little bit of a frat mentality, if you will, is sort of what they described to me. I am by no means a business expert, but I do wonder if Genius Fund failed because they tried to think a little too outside the box. Which brings me to the weed ATMs, or weed kiosks, as they were called at Genius Fund. On its surface, the weed ATMs were a radically new approach to cannabis sales. And the idea was that they would go to liquor stores or convenience stores and put them there, and people could order them, and they get their weed. Let me paint a little picture for how these kiosks were supposed to work. It's just after sundown, and you get a hankering for some marijuana. So you take a little stroll down to your local liquor store and head over 
to what looks like an ATM over by the Hot Cheetos. And you put in your weed order. And you wait. Because, as you might be surprised to learn as you're punching in your credit card info, there is no weed inside the weed kiosk. It's somewhere else. But don't worry. Whoever has your weed just got a notification on their phone, and they're on their way to deliver you your weed at the liquor store. The weed kiosks never took off. Maybe because they basically did what an app on your phone could do. Meanwhile, the company was hemorrhaging money. All of the spending put a very, very hefty load on the company's books. After two years of terrible business decisions and lavish spending, Genius Fund ended not with a bang, but with a bad phone connection. According to Tammy Abdullah's reporting, most of the 300 employees at the company were told that they needed to jump on a conference call. They were being let go. Unfortunately, the connection was so bad, no one could understand what was being said. All they heard was like background chatter, and then the line like went dead. And they didn't realize that they had lost their jobs until they went to sign into their work accounts and they'd been logged off. A week later, I believe, they got a notice that was like, oh yeah, um, you know, you've been laid off. A lot of people had left like good jobs in other places to take this And they were sort of promised a long-lasting work trajectory that could become something. And um, does Genius Fund still exist today? I mean, it's a complicated question. There are parts of it that exist or parts of the company that once existed that now exist as separate entities. There is a store on Melrose in Los Angeles still that was the, the Genius flagship store. And it sits with its grate down and um, a mural of Kobe and Gianna on the front of it. And that has not been open since the pandemic really got going and the liquidation of staff, to my knowledge. Today, the building is home to a different dispensary. I wrote to ask if they were affiliated with Genius Fund, but they didn't respond. On May 6th of 2020, less than two years after Bosov founded Genius Fund. His wife found him inside their home gym, dead from a gunshot wound to the head. Russian officials determined it was either suicide or an accident, though his family believes he was murdered. Bosov was scheduled to testify in court against a former business partner who had been charged with hiring hitmen to kill his enemies. There was a lot of drama and chaos that surrounded Genius Fund during its brief existence. And this is just one example of the types of companies that were operating inside the green zone. There were dozens more still up and running. And Stevana and the new council had made real progress on regulating them. Here's Mayor Gabriel Reyes. So when we came in, it was one of those things that There was no structure, there was no systems, there was no organization. So no one really knew who was in our industry. Now the council at least had a clear path to pulling the city out of bankruptcy. There were systems in place to ensure that these companies were paying their fair share in taxes. And to do that, the council relied on the city staff. Because the mayor and the city council were largely unaware 
of what happened inside these cannabis companies. Mainly because it wasn't their job. It was the city staff's job to regulate cannabis companies. These were the paid city employees whose job it was to do regular inspections, just like the health department inspects restaurants. And there were good reasons for keeping elected leaders out of the nitty-gritty of regulation. For one, it prevented conflicts of interest. But it wasn't easy to keep these two worlds completely separate. And only a few weeks after Stevana and the new council were elected, a scandal broke. One that involved the city council and a cannabis entrepreneur. And at the center of this scandal was Stevana Evans. The game of politics are horrible and it makes people do ugly things. You know, it's where I, I finally saw how ugly and nasty things can be. That's next time. If you loved this episode of Dreamtown, the story of Adelanto, you can hear the next episode right now. For early ad-free access, join Friends of the Pod, Crooked's new subscription community at crooked.com slash friends. Adelanto is an original podcast from Crooked Media. It's hosted, written, and executive produced by me, David Weinberg. Nick White is our story editor. Angel Carreras is our associate producer. Sound design, mix, and mastering by Brendan Baker of Phenomophon. Our theme song is by Icarus himself. And our original score is by Eric Phillips. Fact-checking by Amy Tardiff. Additional production help from Inez Maza, Sydney Rapp, and Kobe Copeland. Thanks to Betsy Zyko for narrating portions of the show. From Crooked Media, our executive producers are Sarah Geismer, Katie Long, and Mary Knopf. With special thanks to Allison Falzetta, Lyra Smith, Andrew Leland, Richard Parks III, Shocker Molly, and Katya Epikina. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.